Welcome to the very first episode of my new podcast, Sober Curious. My name's Ruby Warrington. I'm an author, a thinker, and increasingly a speaker based currently in Brooklyn, New York. I'm from the UK originally. Um, And I wanted to kick off this podcast with an episode that's just me telling you about this sober curious movement that I somehow have found myself a leading voice in and spearheading. This is not something I ever anticipated for myself and my life as anybody who's read my book, Sober Curious, will be aware. I was the girl they used to call cocktail girl, the girl who only ever really drank to have fun. Certainly not a problem drinker with deep-seated you know, alcohol, alcoholic issues um, who needed to get sober. Rather, my getting sober curious is something that has come into my life over a period of time and is very much a reflection of a personal journey that I've been on over the past eight, nine years, depending when you're listening to this. It's currently April 2019, and it was around 2010 that I first began questioning my relationship to alcohol, a very internal, almost subconscious questioning in the beginning. But my body began speaking to me in ways that I found it harder and harder to ignore. My body was asking questions like, why do you keep putting this substance into me when it really makes me feel like crap? Why do you feel like you need this in social situations? Why is it sometimes really hard to resist the peer pressure or the social pressure to drink? Questions that became very multifaceted and as the years progressed, began to demand more and more serious, honest answers. And my book, Sober Curious, but preceding the book, my um, Sober Curious event series, conversations with friends, the community I began to create and build around this notion of bringing a questioning mindset to our relationships with alcohol is what really has helped me to answer those questions for myself. And I find myself here, you know, like I said, nine years into my own sober curious journey, questioning, why would I ever use alcohol? The question for me now is like, what situation would this even be an appropriate substance to partake in? And, I'm, and I, the answer to my question now, to that question, is, well, there's, there's no need. There's no need for alcohol in my life. There's no desire for alcohol in my life. And I've got to this place of feeling completely comfortable and confident about not needing or wanting alcohol without being in a recovery program, without working the 12 steps, and without ever naming myself or labeling myself an alcoholic, rather through continual and consistent effort of answering, as I said, all of my sober curious queries with honesty, with integrity. And that's what my book is about. And that's what this sober curious movement, as I define it, is all about. And that is really what my intention for this podcast is going to be. Um, I was going to record this first episode on my birthday, which was two days ago. My birthday is April 8th. But in the end, I decided I was going to chill out a little bit. I'd actually been working the whole weekend before my birthday and and decided to take that day, just a day, to really touch base and be with myself. Um, 
But the reason, one of the reasons I was feeling called to record on my birthday is because April 8th is a date that I share in quite a sort of serendipitous twist of fate or coincidence, you might say, with Betty Ford, who many of you will know has been or was a real pioneer um, in thinking about substance abuse and recovery from substance abuse. And so that was just a kind of a funny little twist of fate. I only discovered that a year or so ago. She was an Aries like me and certainly had that pioneering mindset. There's a great quote from her, which is something along the lines of, I'm a very independent woman and it's hard to tell an independent woman what to do. And that's definitely something I relate to and can apply to my sober curious journey as well. You know, who says society that I have to drink in order to feel confident, in order to be popular, in order to look cool, in order to enjoy my life, in order to relax. No, I'm not taking those prescribed messages about why I should and need alcohol in my life anymore. I'm going to trust the wisdom of my own being. I'm going to be, I'm going to embrace my independence in this situation and I'm going to walk my own path. But then also, coincidentally, Betty and I share our birthday, April 8th, with the Buddha. (laughs) I mean, who really knows when the Buddha was born? But April 8th is the day that the Buddha's birthday is celebrated in the US. Um, And for me, it's just such an interesting combination of energies. Um, There is this fierce, independent, questioning, feminist woman, Betty Ford, And the Buddha, like one of the greatest spiritual teachers that we have ever known, um, whose teachings and philosophies have actually informed so much of my own work in terms of my getting sober curious and just living my life in general. Not that I consider myself to be a practicing Buddhist, but as for many people I've spoken to over the years, the principles of Buddhism just make sense. But the fact I share my birthday with these two um, two figureheads um, is a coincidence I, I couldn't really ignore. And actually, it speaks very much to my why me, like why me? If I began, you know, this episode asking myself the questions like, why me? Like, how did I get to be the person talking about this <laughs> and popularizing this idea that we all get to independently question how we're interacting and engaging with alcohol and the dominant drinking culture. Why me? Well, there's a little clue in the fact that these two people share their birthday with me. Um, because for me, actually, this, this fierce independence that it has taken to question the dominant drinking culture has been deeply informed and in fact would not have been possible without me really deeply embracing my own spiritual awakening and questioning also what does spirituality mean to me? What does it mean to to have autonomy over my life and my path in this life? beyond the conditioning of our society. And I think that's very much what Buddhism and what many kind of messages from around modern ideas about spirituality are encouraging in us. And I'm going to speak to that a little bit more deeply in a second to give you a bit more background um, for those who are unfamiliar with my work beyond Sober Curious, or maybe you haven't even seen my book, Sober Curious. You've just come to this podcast because you are sober curious and you've heard that term circulating. 
Um, before I coined the term sober curious and began very actively speaking in, about this and writing about this and creating events in the sober curious space, um, I launched um, a online platform called The Numinous, which is an online magazine and event series that covers everything to do with modern spirituality. I launched this after I moved to the US um, in 2012, although it's something I'd been thinking about for a couple of years before that, coinciding very much with the time that this private, private, almost like I said, subconscious, sober curious questioning began. Um, I realized that I was deeply fascinated with all manner of new age kind of woo-woo subjects, which I felt weren't really being presented in the world in a way that... Um, seemed relevant, modern, um, and approachable. So much of it still felt very fringe, kind of crunchy, and I wanted to create a place where people felt safe to explore and investigate these subjects for themselves. I described the numinous as kind of updating all things new age for life in what I call the now age. The way I see it, you know, what, what was being called the new age in the 1960s has actually informed our lives now to an extent that the new age is now. And I have a whole other kind of, a whole other episode um, to talk about that, like in more depth. And in fact, I have another podcast called The Now Age, where I really do go much more in depth about what the now age means and, and why it's so such a relevant term for me. And it is relevant to the sober curious path too, because one of the meanings of now age is really speaking to the idea that we live in this culture now of instant gratification, where modern technology and advances in technology kind of meet our, our need to have our needs or our desire to have our needs satisfied as quickly and as painlessly as possible. We have this culture of instant gratification where anything now, whether it's um, our dinner, whether it's um, clothes we're ordering online, whether it's TV shows we want to watch on demand, whether it's dates we want to have or people we might want to hook up with is available to us now pretty much at the touch of a button. And where we're talking about the subject of addiction or compulsive behaviors, this now age mentality of like, I feel like this, I want to feel like that, I, I can have that in an instant, actually really fuels addictive behaviors of all kinds. And it's something that it is on us as conscious beings to disrupt if we feel that those compulsions and those addictive behaviors, those habitual behaviors are starting to impact our lives in a way that's preventing us from really showing up fully or finding peace as happens for us so many of us with alcohol which is one of the most obviously readily available um, substances that we can use to either enhance our experience of pleasure or to numb our experience of pain and this is something interesting that I get into in my book, you know, as I mentioned in the beginning of this episode, so many of my friends when I first got sober curious kind of said, hey, but Ruby, you only drink to have fun. You don't have a problem. You're, you're drinking to have more fun. And my answer, my honest answer to that question, am I drinking to have more fun is, well, on the other side of that coin, if I wasn't having fun, if I wasn't already feeling happy, there was obviously some kind of pain or discomfort that required numbing 
before I was able to have more fun, if that makes sense. For me, those two things are two sides of the exact same coin. Having more fun, feeling less pain. They're intricately linked. And alcohol is something we can use to enhance the one that we think we want, more fun, and numb the one that we think we want less of, pain. And I say fun, I say think we want, of course we think we want less pain. But one thing I've really learned on this journey and one thing that I'm very keen and eager to propagate is the idea that actually our more painful experiences have deep and important lessons and messages for us. And the more we can feel confident and supported in confronting and feeling some of our pain, as well as the pain of others, the more power we can actually reclaim over our lives, the more we begin to realize that it is within our power to move beyond our painful experiences rather than just numbing them out, forgetting about them and and allowing them to kind of sit and fester in our being and then manifest in all kinds of other problems in our lives. So that's a really big piece of this work and it speaks to what I'm going coming back to this um, idea of how my sobriety or my sober curiosity is deeply, deeply informed by my spirituality, how my Betty Ford side is actually deeply informed by my Buddhist side, right? So it was when I moved to New York in 2012, I began creating um, The Numinous, and I, and I think there was a deep yearning in my being, having grown up in a completely non-religious family and society, really, in the part of England where I grew up. Um, a deep yearning to feel a connection to something bigger, to find answers beyond the intellectual, perhaps answers in my body, perhaps answers in my emotions, perhaps answers in my intuition, which were I realized were available to me through embracing many of these new age practices that I felt so drawn to. And that's everything from astrology, then the tarot, to alternative ideas around healing, energy work, shamanism, breath work, moon circles, ritual. All of these, which I might describe um, practices as being sort of languages of the soul. They're, they're tools and ways that we can really kind of like connect to that bigger, indefinable, numinous part of ourselves. The word numinous means that which is unknown or unknowable. And to me, it really speaks to anything that comes within the realm of our human experience that we cannot necessarily define in words, that our intellect cannot comprehend because our intellect is too limited to be able to ever comprehend the full depth of our numinous experience, our feeling experience, our intuitive experience. So the practices and tools that I've I've spoken about for years on the numinous were actually very much a part and parcel of how I came to get more confident about answering my sober, curious questions. When my body was speaking to me, when my subconscious was red flagging me about what the overall impact of alcohol was on my well-being, the only way I could really answer was by engaging in these practices and actually looking into the deeper, more hard-to-reach parts of my being for some of the answers. And as I began to engage in these practices, not only was I finding all sorts of other ways to experience the sort of sense of transcendence or magic or bliss that I had been looking for in alcohol, but I was simultaneously really beginning to address some of the more painful parts of my experience, some, you know, unhealed traumas from my past, which I write about in my book, um, some difficult and stressful situations in my present. I was finding new ways to actually 
heal these. And when I use the word healing, I'm really talking about acknowledge, be present with, and from there begin to integrate and accept about myself, about my life. This for me is the healing process when we can identify what hurts and begin to accept and find a way to process the root causes of that hurt in our lives is how we heal. And all of the practices I was writing about covering for the numinous were ways for me to do this. And so over the years, the fact that I was using alcohol to attempt to feel more pleasure, transcend my problems, experience connection with others, that then came with this incredibly and increasingly um, painful payoff at the end of it in the form of a hangover that would sometimes last for days afterwards began to feel like less and less of a good deal and another question that came up was like when did I when did I just accept this deal when did I accept the deal that says in order to feel bliss in order to feel joyful in order to feel connected to the people in your life you have to pay the price of this toxic poisonous hangover when did I just accept that why did I not ever question that? And so I began to question that. So here we are, the independent questioning Betty Ford mind with the deep, deep level of self-inquiry, spiritual self-inquiry as, you know, as spoken about by the Buddha and his teachings, marrying in me, in this being, um, into and becoming very much the work that I have done. There's a chapter in Sober Curious um, called Spirits and Spirituality. And I think it's just so interesting that we use the same word for our spirit and our experience of our spirit as we do for this, you know, this toxic, addictive, poisonous substance. <laughs> and the, you know, the, 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 the explanation, the obvious explanation is that when, um, when alcohol was first created and the scientific process around the creation of alcohol began to be named the actual the substance that is extracted in the distillation process of producing alcohol was thought to be the very essence the essential part that cannot be destroyed of that substance so what was extracted in the distillation process as i said was the essence or the spirit of that substance. And when I think about spirituality and modern spirituality, for many of us, this is not necessarily connected to the idea of organized religion. For me, a spiritual practice is any practice that helps me to reconnect and to remember the essential, that essential part of myself, my spirit, what I might call my spirit, the essential inner part of me, inner and outer, the essential everywhere part of me that cannot be named, that cannot be labeled, that cannot, that is not ruby, that is not blonde, that is not British, that is not speaking to you here and now necessarily, you know, the part of me that cannot be labeled or boxed in or called anything in particular, the part of me that cannot be labeled an alcoholic, the part of me that just is. And I think for many of us who are on this kind of spiritual path, the path of seeking, we're seeking a connection back to that part of ourselves because we ultimately know that it's from that part, from feeling connected to that part, 
that we can actually make choices in our physical world, in our physical reality, that are in alignment with who we truly are and what we are truly here to bring to the world. So for me, all of the numinous practices that I was engaging in were helping me to reconnect to that part, were helping me to remember, because this essential part of me is essential, right? It's always been there. It's always been me. And yet the, un- the world, the outside world, has, from the minute I popped into, popped into being, <laughs> has put all these labels on me, has put me in all of these different boxes. You are this, you are that, you can be this, you cannot be that. Um, and for many of us, well, for all of, all of us, assume these identities or have these identities placed on us in the world as a result of our, the origin of our birth, of the family we were born into, the community we were born into, etc., etc. And I think that what we're seeing now, and part of the reason this sober curious conversation is gaining so much traction and is interesting so many people, is that many of us are really engaging very proactively in the idea that, yeah, we, we are not the labels that are placed on us by society. And that actually those labels keep us in very boxed in positions. They prevent us from really fully living as our true selves. And that alcohol is something that we use collectively and individually to numb from the discomfort of having to exist in these small restrictive boxes. When we feel like this is the dupe, this is the lie that we've been sold. We feel like alcohol is allowing us to finally be free and be ourselves. When actually it's freeing us from the discomfort and the pain of living and existing in these very small boxes. And I think, you know, thanks to things like social media, on the plus side, we're actually more and more of us finding alternative ways, being able to connect to alternative ways to live, alternative ways to think, alternative ways to be that are maybe at odds with or are maybe outside of those very narrow boxes of our upbringings, of our society and our communities. And so more and more of us are finding that we have access to this essential self, that we can find communities to support that self, that we can find career paths that support that self or are an expression of that self. And that when we live from that place, we feel so much more fulfilled. We feel so much happier. We feel naturally joyful because we're able to just be. What One thing that alcohol does specifically, which is a very key piece in this is that it switches off there's a teeny, there's a tiny part of our brain and I had to dig quite far to find this when I was researching my book there's a tiny part of our brain called the right temporoparietal junction this part of our this is the part of our brain that monitors what other people think of us that monitors which labels are popping up in front of people's eyes when we're communicating with them when we're present with them when alcohol switches that part of our brain off. And one of the reasons I believe we feel, we associate alcohol with feeling free to be ourselves, with letting down our inhibitions, is because it simply disabled the part of our brain that monitors how other people are perceiving us, that monitors what we can and can't do and say and be because of all those labels that have been placed on us. And fuck, that feels so good. We want more of that. We want to be free of those labels. We want to be connected to and acting from that essential place, that place that is our spiritual self. 
This is one of the reasons alcohol feels so good. One of the reasons, the fact that it feels so good is one of the reasons it's so, so addictive. Um, And of course, it's one of the reasons that many more of us than would ever have felt that we fit into the category of problem drinking or alcoholic drinking are actually way more dependent on alcohol than we would love to, than we would like to admit or that we would like to even acknowledge. Because admitting or acknowledging that actually, yeah, I'm, I'm kind of a bit addicted to alcohol. It may not be the level of addiction that means I have, you know, racked up a ton of DUIs or hurt somebody or hurt myself as a result of my drinking or lost a job. It may not be, it may not have got to that level yet, but there are, but I'm more attached to alcohol than I would like to be, than feels good. Well, what you're actually really attached to is that feeling of freedom to be yourself. And what I'm here to remind you with this episode in particular of this podcast is that by finding other ways to truly connect to your essential self and to feel that it's okay to be that self, you will have less and less desire, less and less quote unquote need for alcohol in your life. For me, this is a really important way to think about stepping away from alcohol Whether that means ultimately you will be sober and completely abstinent from alcohol or whether it means you'll use alcohol in very kind of like limited or specialized situations. For me, this is a path of really letting yourself know and reminding yourself and doing the inner work that it takes to no longer require what alcohol, the promise of alcohol. And for me, this is a really sustainable way to think about changing your drinking habits. And it's why I'm so passionate about sharing this message. It's one thing to say, I cannot drink and I'm going to get the support I need to stop me from drinking because I know that drinking is only going to bring me pain and difficulty. So I'm going to find support groups and I'm going to find tools to stop me from drinking. It's actually a very different approach to say, I'm going to look deeply at all the reasons I have been drinking And I'm going to do my work there and I'm going to find my support to do that work. And from there, no more more having to worry about whether I want to drink or not or whether it's going to be difficult for me to say no to a drink or not. I will no longer need alcohol in my life. I no longer need to numb from the pain, the discomfort of being placed in this box, of not being able to be myself. A lot of people have asked me, since my book came out and since I started getting more vocal about this, you know, why have you, why did you write this book? Why now? And the obvious answer, the kind of easy answer is that, well, you know, I had another book out two years ago and I've been doing all of these cool retreats and creating all of these different products with the Numinous. And all anyone ever really wanted to talk to me about was being sober curious and what that means. (laughs) And so I got to a point where I got a new editor and I was like, should I actually be writing a book on this? Is this the thing? And she told me, of course, yes, you must. Now is the time. And it turns out now is the time. This is a movement. And who knew that I was seeding this movement when I first started talking about being sober curious four or five years ago. But the bigger answer, and this is where I might get emotional, is that ultimately I'm a real believer in choice freedom of choice, right? Freedom to live as my essential self and with that make choices in my life that are in service of me being more of my essential self, of me existing in the world as this being who's free to be me. But sadly, as we know and are being made increasingly aware, for many of us, choice isn't an option. 
in our society, we kind of have the idea of choice deeply entwined with the idea of privilege. We have this almost embedded notion that choice is not for everybody, that only some people get to make choices over how their lives play out. And to me, that's like deeply, deeply messed up. I want to disrupt that in any ways that I can. The bigger reason for writing so curious and for bringing this message forward in the way that I am is that I believe choice is our birthright. And what I really began to realize was that when it comes to alcohol, often we don't really have a choice as to whether or not we become a drinker, as to whether or not we engage in this dominant drinking culture that I see here in our Western societies. And that when we don't have a choice about whether or not we engage, we're actually giving away so much of our autonomy, so much of our independence, so much of our power. Think about it. The legal drinking age in America is 21. The legal drinking age in the UK is 18. But for many of us, we start drinking way, way before that. And we're exposed to alcohol when we're children. In my family, I probably had my first sips of alcohol when I was eight or nine. And my parents felt like they were doing the responsible thing by allowing me when I questioned, what's that, mom? What's that, dad? What are you drinking? Why can't I have any? <laughs> you know, they felt they were doing the responsible thing to explain to me what alcohol is. Hey, you can taste a sip. Mm, yes, it tastes strange, doesn't it? It's not a very nice taste. Um, they felt like they were, they were demystifying booze. They felt like they were taking it off this pedestal of kind of, you know, grown-up specialness. And in doing so, hopefully, in their eyes, removing some of the charge around it so that when I came of legal drinking age or when I was old enough, when I looked old enough to get served alcohol, I wouldn't sort of binge and dive into it head first because it's something that had been withheld from me. And it kind of worked. Alcohol wasn't that particularly special to me. It wasn't something I engaged in massively in my teens. I only really started drinking when I left college and found myself feeling um, quite unconfident about the, the career path I wanted to pursue and looking for a little kind of extra lubrication in my career, which again, I write about in my book. But going back to that mentality of like letting a kid or 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 even just kind of like, you know, softening the kind of transition into the drinking world. The, the deeper implication in that, and I completely appreciate, and I'm not saying my parents did anything wrong. I think they probably did the right thing, although I'm also not a big believer in the concepts of right and wrong. <laughs> I'm, a con I'm a big believer in the concept of the truth, and that may look different for many people, for everybody. But that, again, is probably a whole other episode. The fact that my sober curious conversation is nothing about the morals or the ethics of whether drinking is right or wrong. Anyway, um, the implication behind that kind of thinking was that I would be a drinker, that alcohol would be in my life, that I would be entering as an adult a society where drinking was absolutely the norm. And so it would be better for me if I learned about the nature of the beast earlier on, right? which is like that thing. There's no choice. There is no choice. The only people who don't drink in our society are people who can't drink, whether it's because they have a problem with alcohol, a problem at the level where it's causing them serious harm, whether they maybe it's for religious reasons, 
or maybe it's for health reasons. But outside of that, it is absolutely the norm to drink. We are not encouraged at any point in our development to question the wisdom in engaging in the drinking culture. Perhaps we might get some, you know, some scaremongering articles here and there or some, you know, finger wagging about the the ethics or the morals of binge drinking and how terrible it is. But overall, the messaging, 99.9% of the time, is that alcohol is something that we adults just do. And I also want to disrupt that. I'm sure Betty Ford would be on my side (laughs) in terms of disrupting that messaging. And this is where I think that the sober curious um, message and, and, and movement is really growing. I think that more and more of us, and it's such an indication of where we're going as a society, actually, more and more of us are questioning that kind of the wisdom of, of around drinking that's been sort of projected onto us and layered onto us too, that we need alcohol for this, that we can't do with alcohol for that, that alcohol is going to make us this or that, that not drinking makes us uncool or means that if we have a drinking problem, there's something wrong with us. We're questioning all of that. That is what getting sober curious is all about. That is what this podcast is going to be all about, helping myself and you as listeners to answer some of those questions for yourselves. Because when you think about it, again, zooming out to the big picture, alcohol is so not discussed, and yet alcohol touches every single part of our lives, from our physical well-being, to our work lives, to our family life, to our relationships, to our self-worth, to the way we show up in the world. Alcohol is there, the ever-present tonic, elixir, poison, whatever you want to call it. And so this podcast is going to be some episodes like this, with me talking about various different insights and, and parts of this path as they've shown up for me and as they're showing up in my community. And I'll also be inviting on guests to have conversations about alcohol, what it means to them, what being sober curious means to them. I'm really happy to have you here listening along, joining me on this journey um, and helping spearhead this movement, which I truly believe is going to change the world. (laughs) It's a big claim, right? But um, I believe that alcohol is the new cigarettes. I believe that for future generations, we will have a choice about whether or not we want to engage in the dominant drinking culture or whether we believe in a dominant drinking culture at all. That's all from me for now. The music on this episode, by the way, the music on this podcast is recorded and created by um, my brother, John, who's based in Berlin. He's an incredible music producer and is doing more and more podcast work. So if you love the music, check him out at Allo Audio. That's www.alloaudio.com. And I'll see you again soon.